The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am joined by Cheryl Crow for today's podcast. Cheryl is an occupational therapist who has lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 19 years. Rheumatoid arthritis, also known as RA, can have very similar symptoms to MS, so we've clicked with each other from the moment that we met. Cheryl has founded Arthritis Life with the mission of educating, empowering, and supporting people with arthritis, and she also hosts her own podcast and support group where she helps people adjust to their conditions to live full and meaningful lives. On today's episode, we talk about life hacks and coping mechanisms to reduce fatigue, in addition to the spoon theory and acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I would love to ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a bit more. Is that okay with you? Yes. All right. So I'm just going to shuffle over here. Your question is, what is something in life you really have an appreciation for that most people don't? Oh, that's such a great question. Let me think for a second. I think the thing that comes to mind is that I really love things that are meant for children. At first, I felt a little ashamed of that because I thought, oh, I'd be seen as like not professional or, you know, oh, she hasn't really evolved, gets Peter Pan syndrome or something. But, you know, I love children's movies, children's books. I have my own child now. And first I used that as a justification, like, oh, well, I, I'm keeping these books for my child, but now I just own it. You know, I'm 40 years old and I love children's media. I'm not going to apologize. I love watching my Disney movies again. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to like grow up and grow out of those things. I guess most adults would maybe feel ashamed and I'm like, I'm okay with it. I like kids stuff. I love that. Have you seen the movie? I'm sure you have. I haven't seen it yet. I believe it's called Encanto. Yes. Oh yes. yes. I've heard it's epic. Is it good? It's really great. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's got a great story. Disney has definitely evolved a lot and like telling more stories from different like cultural backgrounds and different musical styles. And so I really like that one. Yeah, awesome. the music's great. Lin-Manuel Miranda, you can't go wrong. He's the man <laughs> yeah, who wrote Hamilton and he did the music for Moana as well. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And before we get into our topic of the day, and we've got so many great things we're going to be talking about, but for anyone listening who might not know who you are yet, can you explain who you are and kind of how you got to where you are today? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I am an occupational therapist and I got my degree in 2012. And of course your listeners are familiar with physical therapy from you. Occupational therapists are often known as OTs, just like physical therapists are known as PTs. And we definitely have some overlap, right? We both kind of operate from the biopsychosocial model and looking at how can we help this person function? And really the reason that I became an occupational therapist is that I was really excited about the fact that occupational therapists can work in mental health settings or physical disability. So that's one kind of slight difference is that occupational therapists are all about figuring out the life skills for the person. So what is it that's preventing you from functioning in your daily life? If it's something like multiple sclerosis, it's going to be like fatigue, pain, maybe weakness. And for something like a mental health condition, it might be lack of volition from like major depression. So I like the fact that the core of it is life skills, but we can come at it from different settings, like a little bit broader. And so I became an occupational therapist. I have also, by the way, got my diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis 19 years ago. So I've had rheumatoid arthritis longer than I've been an OT. And people often think, oh, did you become an OT because you have arthritis and you want to help people with arthritis? And actually, no, because I was never referred to OT or PT. Unfortunately, chronic conditions are not as well served by rehab professionals as acute conditions. So if you have a stroke, you're definitely going to get OT and PT if you're having any issues. If you have a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, which for if those of you who don't know, it's inflammatory, autoimmune, systemic disease, similar to MS. I actually tell people sometimes it's more similar to MS than it is to osteoarthritis because your whole body is affected, not just the joint. But yeah, for some reason, unfortunately, and it's not true in every setting, but in a lot of settings, you get diagnosed with a lifelong chronic illness. You're just kind of told, okay, go figure it out on your own. And that's obviously why Dr. Gretchen has created her amazing programs. That's why I created Arthritis Life in 2019 to provide education and empowerment and tools to thrive with rheumatic diseases. So I went to OT school so I could help children with developmental and physical disabilities. And that was my motivation, but I learned so much in school about how to help people with chronic conditions that then I kind of pivoted away from pediatrics in 2019 and towards helping people with inflammatory or autoimmune forms of arthritis. It's so important. I'm so glad that, that you had that realization and now you've kind of pivoted because there's so many people who need your help. And you're so well-versed in rheumatoid arthritis as well as other conditions. And for those listening that don't know, Cheryl actually was one of our guest speakers in The Missing Link and gave tons of really great tips. Before we get into just a few of those, can you share with us what some similarities are between rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis? Yeah. Yeah. The reason I tell people sometimes that, you know, it's rheumatoid arthritis, even though the word arthritis is in the title, it's more similar to MS than osteoarthritis is that fatigue is one of the biggest symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. And I know that for MS, that can be one of the biggest, not just symptoms, but things that interferes with your quality of life and your ability to perform basic activities of your life or complicated activities of daily life, like working, taking care of children, taking care of pets. And they're both systemic illnesses. They're both kind of considered in the umbrella of like autoimmune or autoinflammatory. Last I checked, I don't know if things have changed with MS and they both can involve a sensation of weakness or actual weakness, you know, dropping things, feeling like you just can't trust your body in the way that you used to. Those are all things that can overlap. And many people with rheumatoid arthritis do experience 
quote unquote, you know, brain fog or neural inflammation. But the scientific basis of how that happens is not as well known for rheumatoid arthritis as it is for multiple sclerosis. It's very well understood and kind of defined as I understand it with MS, with RA, it's like inflammation just kind of travels throughout the body and that includes the brain. So that must be why you have brain fog. So there's a lot of similarities, but definitely differences too. Gotcha. Someone with MS who does have fatigue, what are some things that you can suggest and how they even go about it? Like, where do you even start? Yeah. I always try to simplify things. So I think to myself, okay, there's two main kind of strategies. There's remedial and compensatory or adaptive. So there's make it better, make the underlying fatigue better, give yourself energy, or there's work around it. Can you restructure your day? Can you do a life hack or something to work around the existing fatigue? So I have to say from the occupational perspective, I think for fatigue, for all conditions, we have better tools to work around it than we do to actually reduce it. Unfortunately, there's definitely things you can do in terms of lifestyle factors for rheumatoid arthritis specifically. There's a lot of evidence on making sure that you exercise. And I know that's true for MS as well. It's so unintuitive, right? The last thing you want to do when you're really tired is exercise, but the less you exercise, the less strength you have. And then that makes it harder for you to move your body. So exercise helps with sleep quality and fatigue levels and pain for rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know as much of the research on MS for pain and sleep, but it's interesting. A lot of us think of, okay, pain somnia is when pain causes me to not be able to sleep, but actually lack of sleep can also cause pain itself, which is not how we tend to think of it intuitively. But anyway, yeah. So for fatigue, if you want to actually improve your fatigue, you could do those longer term strategies like exercise to kind of give yourself more energy long-term and then obviously getting your disease under control from whatever factors you have, whether it's medication or nutrition, whatever things that you feel are helping your inflammation levels go down is super helpful. And then the workarounds are things like planning ahead, delegating simple example be for groceries instead of having to go to the grocery store which involves so many steps like literal steps you know driving getting out of the car picking up each item going down the aisles getting home delivery for groceries that's a workaround you might still feel fatigued but you're saving yourself quote unquote spoons or energy units that you could then use for other tasks so i always think to myself can i make this better and or can i work around it there might be some people, I know the spoon theory is well known uh, yeah. in the MS community as well, but if someone doesn't know what that is, can you explain it for us? Yeah, the spoon theory was made by a woman named Christine Misuriano. I'm sorry, I was pronouncing her name wrong, but she has lupus, which is another similar condition to MS and RA in terms of the fatigue. And her idea was to explain to friends and family who weren't understanding or getting her fatigue. She said, imagine you wake up in the morning and you have, you know, 10 spoons and every activity that you do throughout your day costs you a spoon. So take a shower, costs a spoon, you know, get ready for breakfast or eat breakfast, costs a spoon. And so the idea, the way I explain it is that like, able-bodied people or people without an underlying health condition kind of start their day with more spoons than people with a health condition that is maybe not perfectly controlled at the moment. So maybe, you know, my husband might start the day with 20 spoons. I might start my day already with 12 spoons and then tasks are harder for me sometimes because of my condition. So then they cost more spoons. So, you know, the thing that I think I've talked to some other occupational therapists and I'm curious your opinion on, I think one of the things that 
some people don't like about the spoon theory is that it doesn't account for the fact that in your daily habits, you can give yourself more spoons. It's not literally like you're, you wake up with a static amount. You can say, if you exercise, you might actually gain a spoon. So there's a little more complexity than how it was originally outlined, but it's become a very powerful metaphor in the chronic illness community. You know, I once heard the spoon theory described as a bank instead. And like you're giving the bank money and each activity that you do costs a certain amount of money. But in that theory, the banker can give you money back. So if you exercise, they give you $5 back. Or if you nap, you get money back. It was, so it was very similar to the spoon theory, but just with money instead. I love that. And I think that another one that a lot of people use is the battery metaphor. We've all had an old cell phone or smartphone that you charge it, you put it in the same charger as everyone else, but the battery is starting to not work as well. And so it doesn't, the battery drains faster. So that can be a good metaphor as well, but that's a great point with the bank. Cause it's true. I'm spending energy when I exercise, but then it actually gains me energy long-term. So I like that metaphor a lot. <laughs> awesome. So do you have like two or three favorite hacks or products or something that help you with working around the fatigue? So here's three. The first one is uh, evaluate underlying variables that could be causing fatigue. You want to make sure that you rule out any other conditions or underlying factors in your body that might be causing intense fatigue. Sometimes if we have a diagnosis like MS or RA, it's like to a hammer, everything is a nail. You might be experiencing fatigue, but it might actually not be just from MS. You might want to make sure that you get your thyroid checked, see if you're anemic, see if you have a sleep disorder. There might be other things where if you have sleep apnea, for example, then wearing a CPAP at night could actually give you a lot more restorative sleep and help alter your fatigue level. So first of all, it is a make sure you don't have any other underlying thing. And two is get to know your unique fatigue triggers and do the best you can to avoid them. So for me, sunlight and heat are actually huge triggers. It's a little more common for lupus than rheumatoid arthritis, but I know even if I'm not even moving too much, if I'm out in the sun or the heat, it really drains me. My battery gets drained and my spoons go away, you know? So I really try to plan my day. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? It's mentally it can be a little sad to be like, well, everyone's going out in the sun. And I'm like, I can't go out in the sun really between like 10 AM and 2 PM. I try to avoid it or I get in the shade, you know, I get in the shade or I have a little fan. I know you've promoted some really cool, like cooling vests. I want to try one of those. I have the heating vest. I don't have the cooling vest, you know, knowing your triggers, you know, understanding my sleep fatigue is definitely a distinct phenomenon from sleepiness. But that said, lack of sleep can trigger additional fatigue or make your underlying fatigue feel more severe. So that would be the second one. And the third one, delegate. It's a little privilege of me to say, cause I do live with a husband I can delegate to. And I have, you know, when Charlie, my son was little, I did a lot of delegating to friends, family members, cause it was just really, really hard for me to have the energy to do all of the physical and energetic tasks of parenting a baby. It's a very physical job. Those of you who have kids hopefully are nodding. So a lot of us are so hard on ourselves and want to try to do it all, but being gentle with yourself and delegating can be super helpful. Those are great hacks. And I feel like you could use those same tips that you just gave for most symptoms, not just fatigue. Ooh, whoa, mind blown. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and that is true too with heat intolerance. That's another very common symptom in people with MS where if it's hot outside or if you're exercising or the shower is too hot, anything that raises your core temperature is something that can make any of your symptoms worse. 
So do you feel like you can control everything with a hack, like with a workaround like this? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think one of the most important things I learned over almost two decades of having rheumatoid arthritis is that as much as I am a control freak and I want to control everything, sometimes we just can't, right? And I think health conditions are a very humbling experience because especially if you're an optimist, because I want to be an optimist and say, yes, if I just do everything right and I eat right and I exercise right, and then I will feel amazing all the time. But life unfortunately just isn't like that. And that can be a harsh reality to have to confront. But I think of things as like three circles, like a Venn diagram. In other words, there's what I can for sure control. I can control, you know, the food I put in my mouth, the time I go to bed, I can control the toolbox I develop for myself and my physical and mental tools. Like an example would be like, I have an ergonomic mouse, you know, for my computer, I, I gather tools and I can control that. But what I, I can't control necessarily whether those tools are going to be sufficient to reduce my symptoms at all time. And I can't necessarily control whether, let's say, if I go on a special diet for my condition, is that diet gonna work in my body? I can't always control that. You know what I'm saying? So understanding that, okay, certain things are gonna be out of my control. And I follow a kind of life philosophy approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, which the best book on it, I think for beginners is called The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. And it's a little bit about the serenity prayer at the end of the day, you know? you know, I can control what I can and accept the things out of my control and like the wisdom to know the difference. And I think, I think that's one of the most important roles, like people like Dr. Gretchen and I can have is to kind of help people understand where is that line drawn? If you always are operating on the, under the assumption that if I just did everything right, I'd feel amazing. You're going to be chronically disappointed. So saying, you know what, can I give myself the self-compassion and the grace to say that Sometimes it's out of my control and that's really challenging to cope with, but I can build up my mental toolbox. I have a mental toolbox of ways to cope with and accept the present moment. Acceptance doesn't have to mean resignation or giving up hope. It can just mean that this is the present moment I have right now. It might get better in the future. It might get worse. The future's there's so many possibilities, right? The example I always use is what are the things you were worried about on March 1st, 2020? All of your worries, if you listed them all out, was a worldwide pandemic on your list? Probably not, right? So, so much of the time we think that if we just worry about the future, we're going to help protect ourselves. And what ends up happening in the future is often so different than what we even worried about. So contacting the present moment, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy is like a mindfulness and behavior approach. You first connect with what's actually going on just today, right now, just take a deep breath and be present with what you're experiencing. It's very unintuitive if you have pain or discomfort, right? Who wants to be in the present if it's uncomfortable? You're like, no thanks, I'd like to go to like a better future. So believe me, I went through therapy with a psychologist um, over many weeks. So if this is not sounding intuitive to you, you were similar to me, but mindfulness ultimately is very empowering because when you're always running away from the present, you're running away from your physical experience, you're kind of reinforcing the idea to yourself that you can't handle it, right? That you have to change it. You have to make it better. And it, there's an empowerment and be able to say, this is what it is. I'm experiencing pain or fatigue or sadness. And instead of saying, I have to go fix it. I have to be a problem solver and fix everything all the time. Can I just instead give myself a moment of recognition and self-compassion and say, wow, I'm going through a lot, you know? 
even just hearing you say that it's I can see how just thinking about it differently can build that empowerment for you. And it's cool to hear you mention the acceptance and commitment therapy. I was at the annual MS conference back in October and they mentioned ACT as being a recently studied type of therapy specifically in people who have MS to help manage fatigue and they got great results. So can you repeat the name of that book that you mentioned? Yeah, this book is called The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. The happiness trap that he describes is that the more that we try to avoid uncomfortable sensations like pain or frustration or sadness, that the more our lives become small and we actually are less likely to be happy because our assumption is that we should be happy. And if we just eliminated discomfort, we would be happy. But actually the idea is that if we accept that struggling and suffer are just parts of life, and that's really how human life has been through most of history is suffering is inevitable. This is a very like Buddhist, like mindfulness, you know, approach. And it doesn't mean that then we, you know, raise our hands up and say, I give up, my life's over. We say, okay, So this is suffering. I'm experiencing suffering. That's the A part of acceptance and commitment therapy. The CT part, commitment therapy, is that you then say, what are my values? What's important to me? And how can I take action towards what's important to me, given what is happening in the present moment? So a lot of us, again, we have a health condition. You think a lot about the future. How do I make the future better? And there's a time and place, right? There's a time and place for programs that say like, yeah, we're going to learn all the tools in our toolbox for all the missing links to improving our quality of life. But then we can also say, okay, let's look at the elephant in the room. Like what if your symptoms never get better from today onward? And this is a little bit of tough love. I tell people sometimes, I tell myself, unless you're literally in a coma, you still have possibilities in your life. You can still have a quality of life, right? And you can still do things that are meaningful and important to you. Maybe you can't physically go out and go out to coffee with a friend. Can you call a friend? Can you write them a letter? Can you have a FaceTime chat? You know, and so it's about saying what's really possible in my actual life today, rather than trying to necessarily always focus on a better future. And so I should say the full name of the book is The Happiness Trap, How to Stop Struggling and Start Living a Guide to Act. I shouldn't just call it the happiness trap because yeah, the the full title explains that it's a guide to acceptance and commitment therapy. And Russ Harris is one of the most gifted kind of explainers and popularizers of this topic. Also the foreword is by Stephen Hayes, a psychologist who helped originate this approach. And it's evidence-based for anxiety as well as chronic conditions, chronic pain. And I'm really excited to hear that it's evidence-based for fatigue for MS specifically as well. It's really changed my life, to be honest. It really has. And again, if it doesn't sound intuitive to you, I get it because I'm a very fix-it, problem-solver type of person. But I almost feel unburdened now because the burden before was this idea that if I just did the right things, I can Mm. control everything, you know? And we have to kind of free ourselves from that expectation because- as much as we, some of us like to think, not everything is in your control, you know? Yeah. Uh, that sounds I, amazing. I'm going to get that book right after we hop off this call. <laughs> and you know, it was written in 2008, super relevant today, but I will say that in the United States, an updated version is coming out this summer as well. Oh, so so he is adding more exercises. There's also an illustrated one, by the way, for people who are really visual, there's an illustrated happiness trap book that has these beautiful comics kind of style 
drawings but yeah it's like if I could give everyone in the world one book that would be it yeah that's awesome and I will put the the name of that and the author in the show notes too so if anyone is looking for that you can check there now I know that you have an online support and empowerment program and I love the name of it can you share with us the name and also what it is Yes. And for those of you who might've followed me for a while, I've changed the names and things a few times. So if you're confused, don't worry. I'm also confused sometimes, but my program right now is called Room to Thrive. So Room spelled R-H-U-M. It's short for rheumatic diseases. And then Thrive is an acronym that I created that is all the things, the evidence-based things in your toolbox that help you, you know, live the best quality of life you can with a rheumatic or inflammatory disease. Honestly, 80% of it's going to be applicable to most, you know, chronic illnesses like multiple sclerosis or myalgic encephalomyelitis, but the T is the tools for pain and fatigue. That includes the life hacks and workaround strategies. The H is the healthy habits, or I sometimes just say helpful habits, because again, that focus on health can stress people out sometimes. So things like sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress management. And then the R is relationships and social life, as I'm sure many listeners can identify with it. These conditions can have a huge effect on your social life, not just friends, but family, coworkers, and kind of understanding how tools for how to explain your condition, how to problem solve when people just don't get it. And again, we have our zones of control. We have, I can control the words I say to my aunt Shirley or whatnot. (laughs) I cannot control whether she chooses to listen to those words. That's her choice, you know, and we have to at some point kind of give up on this idea that, oh, if I just said the right thing, people would all understand MS. Maybe not. Maybe some people don't want to understand, you know, and we have to say, okay, what am I going to do now? So that's the R. And then the I is inner world. So tools for our mental and emotional health. And that's where ACT comes in really prominently. Also CBT, you know, cognitive behavior therapy. There's certainly some useful exercises there. It's not my favorite approach as an only approach, you know, because it kind of has this underlying assumption sometimes that like, oh, I just need to change my thought patterns. Well, what if my thought patterns are accurate, you know? (laughs) And then the V is values and valued activities. So how do we do the things that bring us joy, you know, hobbies, things like that. And then the E is executive functions. And that's for those who have maybe experience with ADHD, which is also known as like an executive function disorder. It's, It's really the executive functions are in your frontal lobe. It's like the CEO of your brain. You know, that allows you to have complex thought, planning ahead, paying attention, task switching. And for any condition that can cause, you know, brain fog, that can be difficult, but also being a healthcare patient is very difficult on your executive functions. You have to track symptoms. You have to plan ahead. You have to understand how to advocate for yourself and communicate to health providers. I mean, it's a full-time job sometimes. So there's tools I teach in how to, how to be a healthcare patient, you know, and how to get the most out of your experiences. That's the framework. So I have it as a self-paced course, which is currently called the RA roadmap, but I'm actually going to rename it to room to thrive self-paced. And then I have a, a support program. We meet weekly and we go through the tools and the things I talk about in the self-paced course, but then we also have time to ask questions and then basically problem solve and support each other. I'm an extrovert, so I don't want to go through anything alone. I want to be with other people. So it's been really powerful. If someone wants to join the program or at least look more into you and find you, where can they do that? 
Yeah. If you go to myarthritislife.net, it redirects to my website, which is a longer URL <laughs> that always has the most up-to-date information on my programs. And also on Instagram, I'm the most active. I'm, I have accounts on everything, you know, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, but um, I, I'm arthritis underscore life, like L-I-F-E underscore Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L. And that also has my most up-to-date programs and information. I do a lot of webinars and like free educational trainings. I also founded an event called the Arthritis Life Hack Extravaganza. Oh, we should do the MS Life Hack Extravaganza. <laughs> and that's um, going to come up again this, this fall, but I haven't even announced that yet. But all the information will be on my website and Instagram. So Cheryl and I first met on Instagram and you guys are going to love her account. It's so catchy. Anytime I see one of your videos, I just end up scrolling through all of them. So I'm like, Ooh, what else is she posting? <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. I love yours too. You just, you have great energy. It's amazing how we, we can feel like we get to know people who we've never actually met IRL mm -hmm. in real life. So yeah, and your tips yeah. are super great. I'm sharing your videos all the time because something that's meant to be educational for MS again, so often also applies to rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, so. Absolutely. There, there's so many carryovers. And again, if you are a missing link member, go into the missing link and search for the interview that Cheryl did with us. It was a live interview. So people were able to ask questions live. There was so many tips and hacks and products and gadgets that she shared on that call. So yes. make sure to check that out. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was an amazing chat and just so insightful. So I really appreciate you and your time. Oh, I'm so glad, you know, my unofficial tagline is like, come for the life hacks, stay for the emotional support, you know, because I love talking about life hacks and workarounds, but at the end of the day, the hardest part is coping with the emotional ups and downs. So I appreciate that you gave me a platform to share some insights on that. So thank you so much. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.